Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted forty days and forty nights, afterward he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him up on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. And Jesus said to him, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, the angels came and ministered to him. Let's pray real quick. Lord, we, we recognize you today as our God and our Lord and our Creator, our Father, the one who was and is and is to come. And you not only created us, Lord, but you knew us beforehand. You gave us your word. You sent your son, Jesus, to die for us, knowing thousands of years later, each and every one of us in this room would need you desperately, that we would need your um, saving work on the cross. And Lord, as we get into your word today and we read about how you not only came to this world, but you were tempted for us, you were tempted by the enemy, and you reigned victoriously, Lord, I just pray that you would help us to remember that you are our great high priest, and Lord, that we can seek you in times of need and in times of temptation in our own lives. So just, would you speak through me? Would you help what I say uh, make sense? Would you help my brothers and sisters out here just to uh, leave here with encouragement and maybe knowing you and your word a little bit more? So we thank you for this time that you give us to meet here. We thank you for the freedom that you give us to study your word, knowing that millions of people across the uh, universe are being tortured and beaten for their beliefs in you. So we thank you for the freedom you give us, and just, Lord, would you just move in our lives today. But we thank you, and we acknowledge you, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Well, I'm sure you guys know this story, Jesus being tempted in the wilderness. But previously in chapter 3, um, we know that Jesus was starting his ministry. So he comes down to the earth. We don't really know a lot about him until he's a man, basically, 30 years old. And all of a sudden, he meets John, um, and, and he's baptized. And we know that after his baptism, the, the heavens open up, and the Spirit of God comes down, descending on him like a dove. And um, the Lord says, I am, I am pleased with you, my son. He calls him my son. I'm very pleased with you. So Jesus is experiencing this high in life. I don't know uh, if you guys can relate to that, but maybe it's when you guys graduated out of middle school and made it to high school, or maybe some of you it's going to be you're going to graduate high school and make it into college. You'll have these experiences in life that God has given you that basically stokes you out, all right? They're the good times in life, but we know that uh, in James, for example, he says, uh, find it joy when you face trials of many kinds. He says, when you face trials. That means you're going to face persecution and trials and hard times. So after the highs in life, what comes next? The lows, the valleys. And a lot of the times they suck and they're scary. And we question God and all these different things. So an amazing um, truth that we're going to read about in these 11 verses is not only did Jesus go through all of this, but he went through it for us. 
He went through it not only to identify with us, to understand what we would be going through, but he did it so that when we went through, we would have someone to look to. How many times when we go through something hard, whether it's um, a breakup with a boyfriend or a girlfriend, or maybe you failed a test, or you got in trouble at school, or something really bad happened to you in your life, how much better is it when you meet someone that can say, hey, I understand what you guys are going through. I understand the pain. Let me help you walk through this. You guys know what I'm talking about, where it's just a lot better when someone can come wrap, your, wrap their arm around you and say, I understand what you're going through. So that's kind of what we're looking like, uh, what, what this is looking like when Jesus went through this. We're not alone. Our God isn't some spirit just sitting up in heaven looking down on us. He's not allowing us to go through hard times because he wants to punish us. And we're going to read uh, the first, ver- or first verse, or we're going to find out exactly what's going on. But I think there's three things that I found that I wanted to, um, before we get into it, um, three necessary things why Jesus not only had to become a man, but he went through this temptation. The first one is, it was appropriate that the Son of Man should have a ministry completed in suffering, which we as humans all experience, so that he might identify with us. So first, he identifies with us. Remember that. Number two, the Son, Jesus, became a man and suffered not only temptation, but further death, so that he could destroy the devil and thereby free his children from all such fear. You guys know the story. Garden In the garden, Adam and Eve were created. The devil comes in. They tempt Adam and Eve. And what did they do? They sin. So sin comes into the world. Now, because sin has come to the world, now we're bondage to sin. We have a sinful nature. So up until Jesus comes back, we are deserving of nothing less than hell. Or nothing more than hell, maybe. I don't know. So we're sinful, and we're dealing with sin, and we're dealing with the fear and the bondage that comes from the world, something that initially before sin didn't exist. So now Jesus is coming because Adam failed, and Jesus is going to come, and he's going to face the devil head on, and he's going to become our victor. I think Aaron was talking about that in a couple messages, that he is our victor, and logically and in reality, he came as a man, and he did this thing. He didn't just do it from heaven. He didn't just say, okay, I am now victorious, Satan. He came down, and he hit Satan head on. For us, for you, and for me. Um, and then, so number three, he became a man and suffered death so that he could serve as a faithful high priest in service to God, as the mediator between man and God. So we have to remember that Jesus was sitting on the throne in heaven. He's divine. He's king. He's not human. And then because of sin, because of the corruption in the world, Jesus comes down. He makes himself man. He goes through the experiences of a man, everything that you and I experience, in order that he can bridge the gap between a perfect holy God, a God that we can't even fully comprehend, and then the most evil, sinful man. So Jesus was king, gave up his divinity for a time, became human, and then he bridges the gap. So that's the most important thing that we're going to see. But I want to read, can, can you guys open up to Hebrews 2 and Hebrews 4? We'll read, we'll start in, I'll just start in 14 and I'll go to 18. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, this is Jesus, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, which was the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For indeed he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. Now listen up here, 17. Therefore in all things he had to be made like his brethren, us. He had to be made human that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. 
For in that he himself has suffered, being tempted, he is able to aid those who are being tempted. And then in 4, 15 through 16, he says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, uh, but was, all, was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So I need you guys to keep this in perspective when we're going through this, that I think a lot of the times we don't realize what Jesus did. We don't view Jesus in the right perspective. We don't view him as this, a man. We don't view him as a guy who went through the same experiences that you did. In his own way. Yeah, he maybe didn't go through high school. He didn't deal with the 20th century things that you guys deal with. He didn't have a Facebook or social media or whatever. He wasn't posting selfies. You guys post selfies? Yeah, of course. Um, But he went through his own struggles. So in verse 1 it says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. What does led mean? When it says he was led, does it mean he freely chose to go into the wilderness? No, it means someone drove him in the, in the book of Mark and in other translations. It says that the Holy Spirit drove him into the wilderness. So without Jesus' say, God's Spirit says, I'm going to push you into this wilderness. Whether you like it or not, Jesus, this is what you're going to do for me. Jesus was fully aware why he came. He was fully aware that this wasn't going to be a peachy life. He didn't come and he wasn't going to be popular and he wasn't going to have a thousand followers on Instagram and Facebook. No, he was going to come and he was going to be basically hated. And so Jesus was driven into this wilderness after this high, this, this high. He's, he's coming off of like, oh, Lord, this is great, baptism, woo! And the next thing you know, he's driven into this wilderness where the wilderness is what? A barren state. It's something where uh, you, would, you would think of as the desert or some place where no one exists. The Greek word is eremos. So it's basically this uncultivated, unpopular, unpopular place. So like, think of maybe... I don't know, Vegas, and not like the Las Vegas. I'm talking desert Vegas, where nothing else exists but tumbleweed, snakes, and uh, what, sand. And it's really hot, and it's miserable. There's no one else around. So picture that. Jesus is driven into this place all alone. But on top of this, it says that he was to be tempted by the devil. Do you guys understand what temptation is, what it means? Do you know the difference between temptation and a trial? The Greek word for temptation is I'm going to butcher this. Pierezo or Pierezamos. So it has these meanings to be tried and to be tested, but it has two connotations. In James 1, 13 through 15, it says, Let no one say that he is being tempted, or let no one say, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desire and enticed, Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives forth death. So when Jesus was led into the wilderness, it says that he was being tempted by the devil. Now, temptations has like those two meanings, to be tried or to be tested. On the tried and tested side, that's God allowing us to go through things. He allows us to go through trials and hard times for a reason. But it never, you guys have to remember that it never has anything to do with pushing you to sin. Now, Satan takes this trial and testing, something that God uses for good, for righteousness sake, and he takes it and he pushes you to sin. He solicits you to disobey God's word. 
So right here, when Jesus is being led by the Spirit into the wilderness, some of us can think, like, why would the Holy Spirit lead Jesus into the wilderness? I thought the Holy Spirit was supposed to, like, keep me safe on my skateboard or keep me safe at school or the Holy Spirit was supposed to help me gain friends or supposed to help me be popular or supposed to keep me away from pain. I don't know how many of you guys have maybe grown up with a false idea of who God is or maybe who the Holy Spirit is, where we think that if we become a Christian, if we do what God says, everything's going to be hunky-dory. When in times, it's not. In times, a lot of people's lives end up being complete hell. But God is allowing them to go through that. Do you guys know who Pastor Saeed is? You guys heard of him? He's a pastor. He's in the Middle East. He's doing exactly what God commanded him to do. He was just like you and I. He's sitting in youth group, probably growing up in comfortability. He feels the call to preach. He starts preaching. He has a family. He has kids. Everything's cool. He goes to the Middle East. Next thing you know, just because he opens his mouth for Christ, he's doing exactly what the Word of God says. He's obeying. The Holy Spirit, God, allows him to be captive, to be thrown into jail, and then for years upon years being beaten, tortured, starved for his faith. So sometimes, like James says, we are going to be put into times of persecution and put into times of trial for a reason. Just like it says that Jesus was led into the wilderness to be tempted. So God didn't lead him into the wilderness so God could tempt and lure him into sin. But God, being sovereign, being all-knowing, knew that there was a plan. And so he sent Jesus into the wilderness and he allowed the devil to tempt him, knowing that Jesus would reign victorious. So verse 2, and when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights afterward, he was hungry. Have you guys ever been hungry? Like, when you guys get out of school, what's the first thing that you guys say? I'm starving. I want in and out so bad. I'm always like, when Amy and I, or it's like a long day, I'm like, I'm starving, I want Rubio's. And I whine and I complain. So have you guys ever fasted? Any of you? Maybe. What's the longest you guys have fasted? Like a day or a week, maybe? One week, and it's pretty awful. One day is pretty awful, going without food. You wake up, and the first thing that you're thinking is, like, my stomach is a monger, and it's just like, I need food now. I need cereal. I need a bagel. I need pancakes. And then you, you skip your, your morning meal because you're fasting, and all day you're like, oh, my gosh, I'm so hungry. And then you get to lunch, and you're like, I can't eat lunch. By the time lunch is over, you're dying. And then you get to dinner, and you're like, kill me. I can't do this anymore. This is ridiculous. And I'm crying out to God like a little baby. And he's like, Jake, that's one day. I did it for 40. So I want to go through what this, when I, when I teach or when I go through the Bible, I like to look at these things and I go, holy smokes, I don't really understand what 40 days and 40 nights means in this context. What the body goes through in a fast is it goes through in a long-term fast in 40 days and 40 nights, it goes through two processes. The first process happens about, I don't know, two or three days into it and it lasts a couple days where the body starts to hunger. But at the same time, you're denying the nutritious elements the body needs. So your body's telling you, I am hungry. If you don't feed me, I'm going to start feeding on the inside. So it starts eating the bacteria, the fatty tissues. That's why people start losing weight when they don't eat. Because the body starts eating what the, maybe uh, the body doesn't need on the inside. So a week goes by or a week and a half, and though you still may be hungry, the body starts uh, the sensors go off and you're not going to have that starvation feeling anymore. So you can go for another two or three weeks. That's very normal. That's why these guys who do these long-term fasts, I'm like, I don't understand how you're doing that. Well, after they get over the first initial period of hunger, your body, it's okay because it's been eating all the junk inside. 
Now, upon this, this second uh, stage of fasting, the body starts getting hungry again. This is at the point where you would classify it as starvation. Starvation is when, if you don't feed the body, your body will start feeding again on its insides, but it's the vital organs and everything else that your body needs until the point where your body shuts down and you die. So it's very important to realize that when it says, and when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights afterward, he was hungry. He wasn't like, I want a Twinkie. No, he was like, if I don't eat God, I'm going to die. And, and, and on top of that, he's not fasting for 40 days and 40 nights inside of an air-conditioned home with Xbox and like fruit drinks and V8s. Like he's in the wilderness. He is in the heat. He is with bugs or whatever you guys hate about the wilderness. He is there for 40 days and 40 nights with uncomfortable conditions. And then on top of that, he's being tempted by the devil. So in your minds, think of a friend that gets annoying after a couple days. Maybe you had a friend stay over a couple nights, and after the second night, you're like, I'm going to kill you. I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I just get annoyed with people, and after about three days, and not you, Amy, you're good. After about three days, I'm like, you know what? I can't take this guy anymore. I need a break. So imagine Jesus is 40 days and 40 nights. He's already in his humanity. He's probably feeling it. He's hungry. He's probably feeling a little bit upset. The enemy's all over his shoulder, and, and, and it's just an awful condition. So I wanted to paint this picture to you that he's fasted for a long time, and now his body is at one of the most physically weak spots the body can get. So now the tempter, Satan, he doesn't know all. He doesn't know everything, but he's smart. We can see that he met the first two created beings, Adam and Eve, in the garden, and he corrupted the plan of God at the very beginning. The, the, the tempter, uh, Satan, is a deceiver. He is intelligent. He knows how to get you to fall. That's why he preys on your guys' weaknesses. He takes what you guys, how you guys are wired and the temptations that you guys face, and then he eats away at them. So whether you guys deal with gossip or cheating or lust or pornography or whatever it may be, the devil is going to tweak and pry that into you, and he's going to do that until you fall. And the whole point of this with Jesus being tempted is you don't have to fall, and we're going to get to that. So Satan knows Jesus is hungry, and he's weak, and he wants to probably give up. And at this point, he's questioning, he's, he's not questioning God, but he's probably wondering, like, God, why are you doing this to me? Just like before he went to the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is like, let this cut, cut pass from me. I do not want to be tortured to death and hung up on a cross and humiliated. I don't want to do that. God, if, if you will let this thing pass for me, let it pass. So much so that he's sweating blood in the garden. So right here, I'm sure Jesus is saying, like, Lord, I'm hungry. Get me out of here. This is ridiculous. But God had a plan, and he had a trust in that plan. And Jesus knew his father was sovereign. So into verse 3, it says, Now when the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, so he knows he's the Son of God, he, he very well knew that he was baptized and that, that God was proud of him, he says, Command these stones to become bread. And then Jesus, he says, but he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Father. So first, we're going to go through three things that Satan tempts Jesus with. The first is the provision of God. Um, what provision means is God has a plan, whether we understand it or not. So when times get rough or circumstances don't make sense, God is all-knowing and he knows exactly what is best for all of you. And at this time, he knew what was best for Jesus. So Satan comes in, he's like, ha, 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 
I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to question God here. I'm going to question, as Jesus is weak and he's probably wondering what's going on, he says, I'm going to try and, like I said, he's going to find the weakness, he's going to get under the weakness, and then he's going to try to make you fall. So he goes, you know what, Jesus is really hungry. He's been fasting for what, going on 40 days now. I bet this guy would do anything for a loaf of bread. In that time in the wilderness where he was, there was these little stones hanging around and they looked like loaves of bread. So maybe in today's world, we'd be chilling out and he'd be like, you see those stones over there? Turn those into Twinkies. I don't even know if you guys like Twinkies. I just imagine you guys do. I don't know. Or turn those stones into ice cream and eat. And uh, so he's, he's questioning the provision of God by appealing to the lust of the flesh, by trying to get Jesus to say yes to his fleshly desires, to say yes to his fleshly needs instead of his, uh, his, his spiritual needs. I don't know if you guys, um, how much temptation you guys deal with on a daily basis. I know every day I wake up and there's something. I know my weaknesses. I've been honest with the Lord and I've prayed and I have extreme weaknesses. Um, I had, uh, when I was your age, for some reason, I wanted to be like all the other guys that I hung out with. I was hanging out with guys that skated and rode motocross, and they were these really gnarly guys. They were atheists. They were fully tattooed. They were doing drugs and drinking. And for some reason, I wanted to be like them. I don't know why. And I would do anything I could to be like them. And and that was my flesh. That was the desire of my flesh. I wanted to be cool. I wanted to have power. I didn't want to be uh, bullied anymore, per se. I was this really small little guy in high school, and I would get bullied. The foot- I didn't like football players, no offense. Big T. Big T's a gnarly good football player. But uh, I-, I would get picked on, so I said, you know what? I want to make myself like these guys. And, of course, I know the enemy, the Satan, knew that about me, and so he would prick away at me. He would prick away at me, and I didn't understand that my identity was found in Christ, so what did I do? I didn't trust the provision of the Lord and that the Lord had a plan for me, and I peeled to my lust of my flesh, and I went out and did things that I would regret. I want to do this illustration. Who's really hungry? You're really hungry? Come here. Can everyone give him a round of applause? Yes. All right. Oh, yeah. I need. So basically... I'm going to relate this piece of paper to God, so just bear with me. This is your authority, okay? okay? And I need you to read what it says to everyone. This is your authority. Whatever you do, do not eat the donut. <laughs> do not, not even one bite. Trust me, I will give you what you need. Just don't eat this donut. Don't take anything. Emphasis on anything. Hey, bro. Are you hungry? He's really doing this. Hey, bro. Okay, I tell you what. <laughs> what. If you just take one nibble, one nibble, I will give you both donuts. No, actually, if you just take one nibble, one nibble, I'll give you both donuts. I will buy you lunch. And then on top of that, I will give you a donut factory. And you can have donuts. You can share donuts with everybody. He, he lost me at the donut Would factory. You Should he do it? <laughs> donut factory, man. Like. So all you have to do is take one bite. One bite, and that's it. That's it. Here you go. Come on, man. Just do it, dude. It's, it's all good, bro. Like, it's all good. That's, that's just a piece of paper, man. Like, who knows what that, if that's even your authority. Like, Broke the piece of paper. Dude, this is right here in front of you, man. Like, come on, man. Just eat the donut. Coconut's not my favorite. Okay. All right. Well, I guess you passed the test. But you yeah. can still have the donuts now, for real. Like, this, no, the test is over. The test is over. Here. The test is over. What? 
Okay, that's just a small, little, tiny example of temptation, of what maybe Jesus was going through, but you can seriously eat the donuts. Like, it's all good. I bought... Okay, but they're yours. But I don't have to buy you lunch now, so that's good. Do you guys understand that example? The authority being God basically commands us in his word not to do certain things, to trust him, to trust his provision. In Jesus' case, Jesus was commanded to fast 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. He knew who his God was. He knew who his authority was. And yet there's Satan tempting him with the very desire that he wanted. And yet he refused. Jesus said that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And this is important because... Jesus very well knew his physical desires. He knew his flesh. He knew what was, uh, his temptations were. But instead, he goes, you know what? I don't care if I starve. I don't care if I starve to death. Uh, I am not going to disobey my Lord. And how important is it for us to realize that why maybe you're at school and you're dealing with temptation. Maybe you're at your computer. You're getting ready to look at something. Maybe someone's talking trash about someone else that you want to take part in. I know you guys all deal with temptation. You all deal with lusts of the flesh and it's very easy to fall into them but if you guys don't remember who your authority is if you don't remember who your god is and what he's called you to do you guys are going to fall and it's very important like jesus did to simply respond hey my god is far more important than my flesh i'd rather die i'd rather go to the grave i'd rather be uncool i'd rather not do what my body wants to do uh, rather than to disobey the word so in verse 5 he goes on And he says, then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, if you are the son of God, again, now he's sitting at Jesus' pride again, if you are the son of God, man, you can do this, throw yourself down, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands you shall uh, bear up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. Jesus, um, right here, uh, Satan is, 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 is hitting Jesus with this, is your God going to protect you? He's, challenging, he's not only challenging the identity of Jesus, but he's challenging the protection of the Father. He's basically saying, hey, you're the son of God, you have power. It's like if you had a superpower. If I went into school and I was like, yep, I can fly. I believe I can fly, I can believe I can touch the sky. I think about it every night and day, and I can fly. And your friends are like, yeah, right. And I'm like, no, for real, I can fly. I flew over here. Like, do you want to ride? It's not a magic carpet. Like, I, I can fly, like a pterodactyl, right? And so I'm flying around, and I'm having a good time, but no one can see me flying, but I know that I can fly, legitimately. And so I get to school, and my friends are like, dude, prove it. And I'm like, I don't have to prove it. But inside, I want to prove it, right? Because you want everyone to believe you. You don't want anyone to doubt you. And so I'm like, no, guys, I can fly, for real. And they're like, prove it. And my pride, my insights, what, it, what would I initially do? I would probably prove it. I would jump off the building and I'd fly around. It'd be awesome. And so Jesus here, he's the son of God. He's sent here as a man. He knows that he was in heaven. He knows he's king. He knows he has power over the enemy. It's like if, a, if the jocks in high school came up to me and I knew I could beat him up, I would want to beat him up. I'd want to stomp him out. Sometimes I still do. So Jesus knows who he is. And he surely probably wants to show Satan that, yes, I am the son of God. I have far more power than you, Satan. You have nothing on me. Um, he, he, 
he seriously could have just jumped off the building and God probably would have protected him. But then again, that's putting Jesus to the, uh, to the test. And then we see Satan not only tries to get Jesus to second-guess the protection of God, but he misquotes scripture. He misquotes scripture. And we see that a lot with the enemy. They'll give you scripture, even false teachers, as uh, Paul in Romans warns us, like beware of false preachers. They'll take the word they manipulate it in order to fit what they want you to do or what the enemy wants you to do. So us knowing that God is full of mercy, you guys know this, you've been in church, you're learning about the grace of God, you're learning that God covers a multitude of sins, that he loves you, that his love never runs out, you sing about it, right? You know the grace of God. So you guys are living these lives, you guys know that you're sinful, and who of you in this room, you don't have to raise your hands, but get in that mindset where it's like, you know what, I know God will forgive me, like one more time won't hurt, one more time won't hurt. When I was your age, that's what I was thinking. I'm like, one more time. I can look at this thing one more time. It won't hurt. Oh, I can smoke this joint one more time. I can, I can have one more beer. I can get one more tattoo. I can do one more prideful thing. I can do one more thing because I know that God loves me. What happened to the Israelites? This is a parallel of the Israelites as they're thrown into the wilderness. They got to the point where they refused to believe their God. They were in a spot where like, we don't trust you. God puts them in the wilderness for a reason, Right? The whole point of this is, yeah, I don't know if, if God will ever stop forgiving you. His, his forgiveness is unlimited. I mean, shoot, he died for us thousands of years ago because he knew thousands of years ago a wicked generation would need him. And you're all wicked. Not to make you feel better about yourselves, but you're all sinners. I am the worst. I have a bad track record. Track record. And I am in need of God's grace. But knowing God's grace, who am I to take advantage of his grace? And Jesus knew this. Jesus knew that he could show up Satan, that he could very much prove that he was the son of God, that he could jump off this temple and that God would save him, but he refused to put God to the test. He refused to put his God to the test, to tempt his God. And we do the same thing. How many times do we put our God to the test? Do we take one more chance? Do we sin one more time? Do we continue on in our, our, our sinful ways because we know at the end of the day God's going to forgive us that we have one more chance. And that's just straight wrong of us, guys. It's straight wrong of me to do it. It's something I have to check myself every single day. How am I uh, not going to put God to the test? Am I going to put his word and who God is above myself? And then we see how Jesus responds here. I think it's the same way we need to respond. We, can, we don't have to go and give a theological lesson. We don't have to go on this rant. It's simply, it is written. Jesus is quoting Deuteronomy, and he says, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. He doesn't say anything else. So if someone questions you at school or, or, or questions your ability to do something or your, or your parents don't believe you, how many times do we go off on this long rant and we feel like we need to defend ourselves? Jesus simply just quotes scripture. It's that simple. We were just reading, like, if Jesus is for us, who can be against us? It's that simple. And so Jesus says, it is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. And then into verse 8, there's one more temptation. Again, and the devil, the devil is mischievous, but he has endurance. And he will continue until you fall. So in 8, he says, again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain, and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. 
So I want to first point out that it says that uh, Satan showed him the, kingdom of the uh, kingdoms of the world. That's basically all of the world. If you are going to tempt someone with something, you would have to have possession of it, right? Like if I came up to you and for the ladies in here, are you guys into purses, like really nice, was it Louis Vuitton? Is that how you say it? Anyway, I have this really nice purse. And I'm tempting you like, hey, I'll give you this purse if you just do this. I'll give you this purse if you just do this. I would need to own the purse to make it a legitimate exchange. I would have to have possession over the purse. Or for the guys, a video game console, maybe. And I'm like, guys, if you cheat, if you give me the answers to the test, I will give you a brand new Xbox or PS4 or whatever it's at. I will give that to you. So I am in possession of something. So now I am tempting you to do something. In this case, Satan is saying, all you have to do is bow down to me and I will give you everything. Everything. So Satan must have had possession over that because back in Genesis, we know that Adam and Eve were put in the garden, that, that Adam was given dominion over everything. Next thing you know, sin comes into the world and Satan snatches dominion. What's the whole reason of Jesus coming in the first place? To regain what was initially his, what was initially the father's. Jesus comes not only to die for you and I individually, but he's going to come back again after he's ascended, which he has, and he's going to retake the world. So Satan has the world, and he's saying, Jesus, God sent you, sent you into the world to claim the world, but I know exactly how that's going to work. You're going to be rejected, you're going to be beaten, and it's going to be torture, and you're going to want to die. And as he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, like I was saying, he was sweating blood. Jesus did not want to be tortured to death. Who wants to be tortured? Seriously. Nobody. I don't, even, I don't even think we understand torture because we live in California. We come to this nice building. We eat whatever we want whenever we want. We have an unlimited amount of resources. We don't understand what being tortured for our faith is. Yeah, maybe some of us, we've gotten beat up or we get made fun of, or people start rumors about us. And that's hard, guys. It is. But being physically tortured, being beaten to the point where you don't even, uh, you can't be recognized as a human, that's what Jesus knew he was going to have to go through because he came for the world. And then Satan goes, I know what Jesus is going to go through, and I know he doesn't want to go through it, so I'm going to try my one last ploy here. Jesus, if you just bow down to me, if you do this one thing, if you take your eyes off the Lord and you worship me, I'm going to take all that pain away, all that fear, and I'm going to give you what you came for, and I'm going to give you the easy way. All you have to do, Jesus, is bow down to me. That would be very easy, wouldn't it? Samuel, you said you, want, sorry to call you, out, but you said you wanted to be a microbiologist. That's intense. Microbiology, usually you have to have a doctorate degree. A doctorate de uh, degree means four years of university, two years of master's if you pass through, and then two to three years in a doctorate program. That's eight years of school after high school. So when you go through high school, like you guys are going to, you start getting burned out, right? But you know that you want to be something when you grow up. You want to be a lawyer or a doctor, in Samuel's case, a microbiologist. So now you have four years of university. And four years of university is a lot more intense than high school. It requires a lot of time, a lot of stress, a lot of studying, a lot of money. And then, not to mention that, but you get through that, and then you have to pass more exams, and you have to enter into your master's program. And then you enter into the master's program, and it's even harder than that. So you're going through all that, and you're studying, and you're giving all your time, and you're working, and, and life seems 
pretty stressful and pretty bad. And it gets worse than that. You graduate, great. You have to take more tests and get into the doctorate's program. And then you have the doctorate's program you have to go through. And that's 10 times as hard as high school. And then finally you complete that. And you're like, I've made it. I can be a doctor. I can be a microbiologist. But now you have to take more tests. And you have to start in the lowest forms of hospitals and the lowest clinics. And you have to do a good job. It seems like a long road, doesn't it? So imagine I came up to you and I said, hey man, you believe in God and you believe that you want to be a doctor. I'm going to take away that 16 years of school, all that money, all that time, all that stress. If you just bow down to me, if you do what I want you to do, I'll take away all that and I'll make you the most successful doctor in the world. Would that be enticing to you? Would that be enticing? It would. Or when you guys go to take your ACTs or your SATs, if someone says, I'll give you all the answers if you sin. I'll give you all the answers. You can get into the best colleges. You will never have to study, never have to stress. Everyone will love you and praise you. If you just sin, I'll give you all the answers. It would be pretty enticing, wouldn't it? So Jesus, in a far more complicated state, is come to earth. He's going to be rejected. He's starting his ministry, and Satan is doing everything he can to stop it because he knows the power that Jesus is going to have on the world. He would never bow down to Satan regardless of what Satan was offering him. And as we look at that, a lot of the times we look at the Bible, guys, and we read it, and we get it, and then we walk out the doors and we don't do anything with it, do we? We tend to just come to church because our family's here. We come, we come to church because, well, it's better than big church. I don't want to listen to a theological lesson. I'd rather come to youth group. And then we sit here and we learn about it, and we're learning about these things. And I think you guys get it because you guys are smart and you're intelligent. You guys are probably more intelligent than I am. I have to work really hard to know what I'm talking about. Um... But how does this relate to us? You know, are we willing to give up everything only to worship God? Are you willing to give up your friends? Are you willing to give up popularity? Are you willing to give up social media? Are you willing to give up your desires and your lusts? Are you willing to give up everything? Would you be willing to give up your families? Would you be willing to walk out of here in handcuffs and to be thrown in a jail cell and to be beaten for your faith? Would you be willing to do that? I don't know if I would. That's hard to think about. But it's a good thing to think about because that's what your God did for you. That's what Jesus did when he came. Jesus didn't just come down and live a hunky-dory life. He wasn't praised, and then he didn't just die a nice little death. He came down, and he lived the most excruciating death for us. And not only that, he went through things like this, temptation. Jesus didn't have to do this, by the way. God didn't have to do this. We know God's omniscient. He's all-knowing. All-knowing means he not only knows us, but he knows our situations. So Jesus, before he became man, he probably knew what temptation was. He knew the stress and the anxieties and all the things that we face. So at the end of the day, he probably didn't have to do it anyway, but he chose to. Why did he choose to? Does anyone know? Why would Jesus do that? What's the root cause? Because he loves you, simply. He loves you so much that he was willing to be mutilated for you, willing to be tempted by his very enemy. Willing to not only respond with only scripture, but he was willing to respond with meekness. So we go on, go on last verse in verse 11. And it says, Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. And I found this pretty intriguing because it's quick. My friend's party, and everyone wanted to take shots. And for some reason, I just, I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to drink. And, uh, this guy was hassling me over and over and over, and he was right in my face. He's like, he's like, Toast, 
toast to our buddy. Who was it? I think it was Justin. It was his birthday. And I was like toasting, but I would put down my drink. I didn't want to drink. I just chose not to drink that night. And he was right here in my face, screaming at me, telling me that I was breaking the toast, that I wasn't being a man. He was basically cracking me down and embarrassing me in front of all of these people in the bar. Because when you're in a bar, you don't really want to be embarrassed. You want to be the cool guy that drinks. That's just how it is. Um, it's like someone comes up to your school and they're just constantly making fun of you because you refuse to cheat on the exam or you refuse to make fun of someone else. The next thing you know, the whole school's looking at you and making fun of you. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, if you, if you don't respond to that person, because I didn't respond to this guy and I just let him do what he needed to do, eventually he left. He eventually had enough. So we see, we see here, it says, then the devil left him and the angels came and ministered to him. The whole point of this is, we look at how Jesus responded, and first, he never broke God's commandments. He always obeyed the Lord. He always looked to his God. But then eventually, he has victory through Jesus. We have victory. Jesus is our victor, like Aaron was saying. Um, and so this parallels our lives. We don't have to just read this and then go away and say, this has nothing to do with me. Like, this, you know, Satan's not at my front door every single day. No, he's not. Satan himself might not be at your front door every day tempting you. But you guys do deal with temptations. We are sinful. And you guys know what's going on in your heart today. Some of you are dealing with some pretty gnarly stuff. I know that because I was sitting in your shoes. I was sitting in those seats. Um, but we have similar temptations like, we're saying, like I was saying. We have the lust, immorality, especially when we're young. Your hormones are raging. I'm sorry if that's embarrassing, but that's just how it is. You guys look at a girl, and next thing you know, your thoughts are way over there. And girls, you're looking at guys, and who knows what you're thinking? I don't know. You're a girl. And your thoughts are raging. It's crazy. If someone wrongs you on the road, the first thing you want to do is run him off the road. If someone wrongs you at school, the first thing you do is you go slander him to someone else. If a teacher disrespects you or your parents disrespect you, what's the first thing that you do? You get all sassy. You're like, oh, I hate you guys. That's just like how we are. We're, we're full of the flesh. We have these temptations. A temptation is what the enemy uses to lure us into sin. And what sin is, is it's a separation between you and God. The same, Satan will do anything he can to separate you guys. So I ask you guys, how can we fight these temptations? I mean, we can read all we want. You guys can come to church all you want. You guys can. Um, but nothing's going to do anything until you guys take a stand. What are some of the ways we can battle these things? Like, what are some of the things you guys can do to battle temptation? What's maybe one of the most important ones? Prayer. What is prayer? Prayer is communicating with your God. It's seeking your God and the will that he has for your life. If you guys are not in prayer, if you're trying to live Christian lives or obedient lives to God without communicating to your Lord, you're not going to be able to know him and you're not going to be able to do what he wants you to do. As he's fasting and praying for 40 days and 40 nights, he wasn't just fasting. He wasn't just out there chilling. He didn't have a, an umbrella and he wasn't just hanging out watching the sun go up and down for 40 days and 40 nights. No, he's on his hands and he's praying and seeking the will of God. And then what's another one? It's the word of God. That's why Jesus responds with the word of God in, in, in Deuteronomy. Every time Satan came and, and, um, and tempted him, he responded with the word of God. So we can find encouragement, guys, because going through these trials, even though our trials may not be as severe as some of those others, maybe we're not being persecuted and tried and beaten, but we're going through stuff. Each one of you guys is. But you guys have a king who you know, who you're here trying to learn about. You have a king who loves you on a personal level, who is willing to die for you. It's all about what he did for you on the cross and through his resurrection. And so he made you, he knows you, he allows you to make decisions, he's given you free will. 
He allows you to make mistakes. He allows you to go through trials and testings. He allows these things because he sees the end result. He sees the end result. He sees the perfection that is to come. That's called sanctification. So he allows us to go through these things so he can pick us back up and make him into the men and women that he wants us to be. And I want to read Hebrews 2, 17 through 18 one more time, just as, a, as we exit. And I'll stop ranting. 2.17. In all things he made to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered, being tempted, he is able to aid those who are being tempted. And then in 4.15-16 again. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin... Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So I, I know you guys are dealing with stuff. Only you guys really know and the Lord knows your guys' hearts. I am no better than you. I am dealing with stuff too. But God is giving you not only himself, but he's giving you his word. He's giving you the truth. And like Jesus too found victory, we can find victory over the enemy. And as we sing that song, who can be against us? No one can be against you in Christ. And I know that's hard to understand. And I know I'm an older guy just preaching the word to you. And you're like, when can I leave and go eat? But this is going to be implanted into your hearts. And you guys are going to remember this. And this is, this is your tool to live this life. We have to remember this life is it's either about the world and Satan or it's about God. There's no in between. There's no coasting by. You will have to answer for yourselves. Whether that's tonight, if you die tonight, or you die when you're 85. You guys will have to answer. So it's time for you guys to, to take responsibility. Go before the Lord and ask him to reveal those things in your heart you need to correct. Those things in your heart that maybe you need to give up to him so that he can do the work in you. Because he can't do the work in you if you guys are closed off. So I hope you guys can be encouraged by what Jesus did for you. It took me a lot of years to realize it, but let's pray. Lord, we love you. We come before you and we recognize that we need you. Lord, a lot of the times I know in my life, I read the Bible and I come to class and I go to church and I leave and it doesn't do anything in my heart. And I'm just praying, Lord, as we come to know who you are and we learn more about you and we realize what Jesus did for us. We realize that you sent him for us, that you sent him into this corrupt world, this decaying world to be rejected, to be tortured, to be beaten, to be punched, to be spit upon. And then to be hung on a cross in the most excruciating ways to die in that Roman society. Lord, you did that for us. You did that for each and every individual in this room. And Lord, I pray that you would just let them know that. That you would remind them of that. And remind us, Lord, that when we're tempted. That when we're tempted at our schools. Or we're going through hard times. Or, or we feel like we're failures. Or we feel like all the world's against us. And a dark cloud is hovering over us. That, Lord, you are king. And that you reign. And that you are victorious. And that you've given us that power through yourself. Through prayer. Through the word. And so I pray that you would empower each and every uh, man and woman in this room to live for you to be missionaries for you, to not to be embarrassed by you, not to be embarrassed to be a Christian or to be embarrassed to share your love for the world, but motivate these people and motivate myself and Aaron and everyone else, Lord, to realize the gift of you, that you've given us, that we don't have to pay for our sins, but you've done it for us on the cross. 
So thank you, Lord, that you're good, that you're righteous, that you're far more powerful, that you allow sinners like us to come before you and to worship you because we're, we're not deserving. We thank you. We praise you. You're our King and our Savior and our Father. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.